Good morning. Welcome to Northminster Church on this beautiful June morning. Whether you're joining us in person or online, we are glad that you are here to worship with us. I have several things to uh, make you aware of this morning. The first is to say welcome to any of you who are visiting with us. We are particularly glad that you are here and hope that you will join us in all aspects of our worship service, including communion. There are instructions as to how we do communion in your order of worship, or just follow the people around you. They'll lead you the right direction. I would also ask that you fill out the worship registry that is in your row and pass those down. If you could please write legibly, that is helpful to us in the office, uh, particularly Renee, our administrative assistant, as she keeps track of who is with us. I promise we are not planning to show up at your door. We'd just like to know who's here so that we can welcome you fully. We talk often at, here at Northminster about the best thing we can bring to worship is ourselves. And I want to reinforce that for you this morning. The best thing you bring to worship is you. So we are glad that you are here. If you did not know, this is a Baptist church. I know it's not on the sign. And for those of you who grew up Southern Baptist, you walk in here and go, really, this is a, this is a Baptist church? It is. It is actually a Baptist church. We are going to spend today and then the next three weeks afterward talking about, in the, the sermon, what it means to be Baptist. So I wanted to give you a heads up about that. Uh, other announcements after worship, we're going to have our fellowship time, so I hope you will stick around for that. Maybe meet a new person, put a name tag on, let us know your name. That way we don't have to ask each other. Next Sunday, we are going to be celebrating our long-term friendship relationship with the church in Cuba. Um, as you came in, you probably noticed there is some new artwork up on the walls. That is uh, from D.H. and Craig's collection. They curated that for us. Those are numbered, and there is a list of those paintings and the artists out in the narthex for you if you'd like to take the tour through the art. That will be up uh, this week and next week and perhaps a bit after that. Whole month. We're going to leave that up for the whole month so we can enjoy it. Um, what else is coming up? Uh, the book club meets on the 19th. Vacation Bible School, that sign-up is up. So if you uh, would like to volunteer, please do so. And then the last announcement I have to make, unfortunately, is not a happy one. Uh, most of you either know or have heard of our uh, Pastor Emeritus, Welton Gaddy. Uh, I unfortunately have to tell you that the decision was made last week that he is now in hospice care. Yeah, which I know is, is quite, quite a blow for all of us. Um, more information will go out about that as we learn more. But for now, if you would pray for him, pray for his family. Um, we don't know exactly what the timeline is, but uh, he is being very well taken care of. So please pray for him and send your love. Um, and we will get more information to you as we have it. And now I'm going to ask that you take a deep breath. After news like that, I think we all need a breath. Take a deep breath, breathe out your to-do list, breathe out your distractions, breathe out those things that you carried with you into worship that would keep you from enjoying this time that we have together. As you breathe in, breathe in the love of God, breathe in the knowledge that you are good enough just as you are. And then let us worship God as we hear our moment for mission. Turner, would you come give that for us, please?
Good morning. Um, the organization that Northminster's Missions Commission is collecting for during the month of June is Exit 318. That signifies the 318 area code geography that is this part of the state and the abbreviation for ex-offenders in transition. This is a program that is designed to help ex-offenders make good choices and to prevent choices that have the potential to return one to incarceration. As such, a person applies to the program prior to release, and once the client is accepted in the six to eight months prior to release, weekly work in assessing needs, skills, desires, uh, it begins as well as understanding the requirements of the program. Um, once released, housing is arranged, job opportunities are accessed, counseling, rehabilitation, behavioral change services are offered and or continued. And as a voluntary program, clients must be willing to make positive changes. They're provided many different opportunities for success, but as in all things, uh, choices, <laughs> um, personal choices shape us. And um, um, this is a rigorous program. It's a program that has been making a very huge difference in the nearly five years that it has operated in our region. It's supported by many different companies and local businesses. It has its home base in Goodwill Industries. And like the many organizations that help people in transition, where we're coming from our past and into our future, whether it be for health reasons, loss of home, or loss of everything due to natural disasters, change in job, other forms of displacement or celebration, the clients of ex Exit 318 need the basic necessities, basic cleaning supplies, bedding, clothing, food. All of those items are detailed in our uh, one of the inserts in the worship order of worship, as well as our newsletter, and there's a lot more information about Exit 318. Thank you. Now hear this call to worship. God, our creator, we call you father, mother, author of life. Draw us closer to you, O oh God. Christ, our Savior, we call you the Son, the Messiah, the one who saves. Draw us closer to you, O God. Holy Spirit, we call you the Advocate, the Inspirer, Breath, and Wind of God. Draw us closer to you, O God. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Draw us closer to you, O God. Draw us in the Spirit, Christ and Creator, 
that we might journey with you more fully and deeply in this life and beyond. Amen.
switch sides on you, and you guys caught it. I'm proud of you. You're very smart. So I want you to put your thinking caps on. Hello, come on over. So I want you to put your thinking caps on. You ready? I know it's summertime. Your brains are probably off, but turn them on for just a second. So I'm going to ask you a question. Is God a boy or a girl? A boy. <laughs> that was a quick answer, wasn't it? Who says boy? Does anybody say God's a girl? <laughs> the women in the congregation are like, yeah. what if I told you that God is neither one? Does that, does that sound kind of weird? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it does. It's okay if it does. So today is what we call Trinity Sunday. Does anybody know what Trinity means? Does anybody know what the prefix tri means? Does anybody know what a prefix is? <laughs> okay, you should learn those in school. I'm sure you did. Prefix is the part of the word that comes first, and tri means three. So Trinity is a group of three. And when we talk about it in church, the Trinity, we're talking about the Father, God, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, sometimes is how people talk about it. And all of those are a way to think about God. They're all God, just in different forms, kind of like water. So go with me on this. So water can just be regular water, right? Like you get out of the faucet in a cup. Or if you put it in the freezer, what does water become? Ice. Ice. And then water can evaporate, and it turns into what? Do you know? What does it turn into? Steam. Yeah, water vapor. God's kind of like that. God can be all three. God can be God the Father that we think about, right? God can be Jesus, and God can be the Holy Spirit. Now, I know it's kind of confusing to think about, but that's what we're talking about today. That's what we're celebrating, is that God loves us so much, God comes as big God, right? We think about God in heaven. God comes as Jesus, and God comes as the Holy Spirit, who the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit being a guide, being an advocate, someone who walks with us and um, is on our side. But you know what the Bible doesn't really talk about? if God is a boy or a girl. Now, the Bible uses a lot of male-boy language, but the truth is God doesn't really have a gender. God isn't really a boy or a girl, which you know is kind of strange to think about. But it's important, especially on Trinity Sunday, when we talk about all of God's, uh, all the versions of God, that we remember that you don't have to call God he, you don't even have to call God she. You can think of your own word for God. Now, if he is what's comfortable, that is perfectly fine. If she is what's comfortable, if that makes you happy, that's perfectly fine too. If you have another word, that is also okay. But I want you to think about the fact that God is God. God's not a boy. God's not a girl. God's a lot of things. Can you kind of, does that make some sense? No, it was complicated. <laughs> That's okay. Even the adults don't fully understand it, I promise. But I just want you to know that God is a lot of different things, 
and however you want to talk about God is perfectly okay. All right? We'll go over it again, I promise. Now, I want you to turn around, face the congregation, hands in your laps, sit up nice and tall. You are leading this. And if you're not loud enough, I'll make you start over. Adults, you are welcome to join in. I'll say the first line, you say it back to me. I see the face of God in you. I see the face of God in you. Now the adults are louder than you, kids. You've got to be louder. The love of Christ comes shining through. The love of Christ comes shining through. I'm only hearing Ricky. I think you can do better. <laughs> and I am blessed to be with you. And I am blessed. O oh, holy child of God. Oh, holy child of God. Amen. You can go back to your seats now. Thank you. for this pastoral prayer, I would like to uh, share with you uh, a version of the Lord's Prayer that was written by a pastor named Rachel Hackenberg. Uh, I think it is quite lovely and quite appropriate for this Trinity Sunday. So let's pray together. Our creator, our justification, our advocate in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy body, thy presence. Your realm come, your imagination fulfill, your peace arrive in all ways and all places. Be our bread, our breath, and our beckoning. Jealous one, forgive our self-worship. Just one, save us from abuses of power. Joyful one, restore us to participation. For yours is the delight, the authority, and the relationship now and always. Amen.
Hebrews. Long ago, at different times and in various ways, God's voice came to our ancestors through the prophets. But in these last days, it has come to us through the Son, the one who has been given dominion over all things and through whom all worlds were made. This is the one who, imprinted with God's image, shimmering with glory, sustains all that exists through the power of his word. He was seated at the right hand of God once he himself had made the offering that purified us from all our sins. This Son of God is elevated as far above the heavenly messengers as his holy name is elevated above theirs. A reading from the epistles for us today. Thanks, Thanks be to God. from Hebrews. Indeed, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before God, no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. A reading from the epistle for us today. Thanks be to God. Before I begin uh, the sermon, turn the microphone on. There we go. Okay. Before I begin the sermon, I want to draw your attention to your order of worship, to the icon. Um, 
I specifically chose this forest today. This is by an artist named Kelly Lattimore. Um, several reasons. First, this is the Trinity depicted in a way I have never seen it by three women, uh, or th three female presenting individuals, uh, by three people of color, and there's a nice little pride flag across that communion table. So, wanted to draw your attention to that. I think it's really special and beautiful. If you like this, she has a lot of, she does icons, I think is her main focus, and they are all gorgeous. She has one of Mr. Rogers. She has one of Matthew Shepard that is just heartbreakingly lovely. Go online, Google her. Her work is worth taking a look at. And now let's pray together. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And may we hear a word from you today. Amen. So as I said, we're going to spend four weeks talking about what it means to be Baptist, but just by a show of hands, who here grew up some flavor of Baptist? I did. Okay. There's lots of different flavors, which we're going to talk about to an extent. I would be willing to bet few of us know what it really means to be Baptist. Do any of you feel like you have a working understanding of what that means? Anybody? Melba does. Good girl. Got a couple back here. I know Craig does and DH does. Few of us do. So probably you don't really know, and it's fine if you don't, what makes Baptist unique, what differentiates us from other Protestant denominations. Now, praise be to God, here at Northminster, we are a diverse group of believers, some from church background, some with no church background. All of that is great. So some of this is going to be new information for you. Uh, and like I said, even those who grew up Baptist could use a refresher. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about what it means to be Baptist, how we define that word, and why our kind of Baptist here at Northminster is different from other kinds of Baptists, and why we have certain traditions and ways of living out our faith. Now, the place to start is with some history, which I know some of you are going to hear that and go, oh, great, okay, history. It's pretty interesting, though, so stick with me on this. Very broadly, Baptists began in the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s, um, Martin Luther and all of these other people began to question and then eventually move away from the Catholic Church. Now, this is from 30,000 feet, y'all, okay? I, I don't have time for all the details, so if you want more, go read about it. <laughs> There's lots written about Baptist history. More specifically, Baptists in this country find our footing with a group of English Christians who were gathered in a bakehouse in Amsterdam around 1608 or 1609. We don't know for sure. They had fled England because of the religious constraints in that country. Their leader was a man named John Smith, uh, a former Church of England minister who had become convinced for the need for a personal confession of faith, meaning you're saying, I need Jesus, I am confessing my faith, followed by what we call believer's baptism, which is a baptism you are choosing to participate in, rather than the traditional baptism of infants or babies, which a lot of churches still practice. So Smith gathered with his flock in this bakehouse and baptized himself and then his congregation, full immersion baptism. Unfortunately, he quickly began to question that self-baptism, 
and eventually repudiated it, said that was not the right thing to do, as did 31 members of his church. They then petitioned to join a Dutch Mennonite community. But another man in the group named Thomas Helwes, he had funded the trip from England, he was pretty wealthy, he refused to renounce his baptism. And along with 10 members of the remaining church, they excommunicated Smith and his followers. So from the beginning, Baptists have been really good at splitting. (laughs) Now, Helwes and his group, his little group of, of 10, went back to England in 1612. They settled near London, where they founded the very first Baptist church on English soil. But Thomas was a bit of a loud mouth. He was outspoken. He was very public in his objections to the English church, which was, or the Church of England, which was the official uh, church of the state of England. And he was thrown into jail in 1616, where he died. Uh, but the faith made its way through lots of stops and starts to the colonies, and this country's first baptismal service was held in Providence, Rhode Island in 1639. Now, that first Baptist leader in the United States was a man named Roger Williams, who, a lot like John Smith, was a seeker. He was a religious seeker, so he didn't stay Baptist very long. (laughs) He moved on pretty quickly. So when the second, the first Baptist church was formed in Newport, Rhode Island, uh, sometime during the 1640s, it was led by someone else. His name was John Clark. Now, for a quarter century after the founding of that church, Baptists weren't welcomed in other New England colonies. Uh, They were jailed. They were called vermin. It, It was not a good time to be Baptist. So despite living in the colonies, it wasn't until 1665 that another church was founded in Massachusetts. The pastor there was a man named Thomas Gold, who wrote what was likely the first Baptist confession of faith in this country. Eventually, uh, Baptist churches were able to spread. Uh, Connecticut in 1667, Maine 1681, New Hampshire 1755, New Jersey in 1688, Virginia 1417, North Carolina 1727, and Georgia in 1759. Here in Louisiana, the first Baptist church in in what was then the Louisiana Territory came into being in the 1780s. At that time, this part of the world was under Spanish rule, Um, so Baptists were just generally uh, in for an uphill battle, and preachers in particular were often in the authorities' crosshairs. The first Baptist church in this, uh, what is now this state, um, was organized on October 12, 1812, and in what is now Washington Parish near Franklin, Louisiana. It was called Half Moon Bluff Baptist Church, and it is still standing today if you ever decide you want to go visit. Now, of course, Baptist history continues on from there, and we're going to explore more of that in the weeks that uh, are coming, including, as I've already said, something Baptists do really well, splitting into smaller and smaller and smaller groups, uh, such as the American Baptists, the Southern Baptists, the Cooperative Baptists, the group that I grew up in, and the Alliance of Baptists, which is the organization this church is a member of, and that's just to name a few. If that sounds overwhelming, just that short list, you should know that when I was in seminary, my Baptist heritage professor told us that as of the early 2000s, which is... over 20 years ago now, there were over 50 different Baptist groups just in the United States, okay? 
We're not talking globally, we're talking about this country. So, if you feel like you don't know what a Baptist is, it's okay, there's lots of different ones. That means that the Baptist world is deep and wide with lots of variations on what people understand a Baptist to be, what Baptists to mean, and how the faith should be practiced. Even scholars and historians don't agree necessarily about what makes a Baptist a Baptist, but the explanation I find the most helpful and easiest to understand is from a historian and scholar named Walter Sheridan, and he calls these the four fragile freedoms. Now, some of you have heard of this before, but let me go over it anyway. Over our history, the marks of Baptist life have been called distinctives or convictions, ideals, principles. Those are all words that have been used. Those are all accurate as well, but Sheridan says in his introduction, the main thing that lies at the heart of being Baptist is the spirit of freedom. The Baptist passion for freedom is a major reason why there is so much diversity in Baptist life. In much the same way that the rules of English grammar are true until they aren't, like that whole I before E except after C is ruined by the words conscience and society, hard lines of demarcation are just not possible to define within Baptist life. But despite this frustrating level of diversity, Baptists share some common convictions as long as those lines of consensus are not drawn too rigidly. So if it sounds like I'm tap dancing, I kind of am. The first of these distinctives, uh, what Sheridan outlines is what's called Bible freedom. And here's how he defines it. This is the historic Baptist affirmation that the Bible, under the lordship of Christ, must be central in the life of the individual and church and that Christians with the best and most scholarly tools of inquiry are both free and obligated to study and obey the scripture. Said a shorter way, Bible freedom is freedom under, freedom for, freedom from, and freedom of scripture. Bible freedom under the lordship of Jesus Christ puts Christ in the proper place of preeminence, being superior to scripture. This means that Jesus is the norm through which the Bible is interpreted, not the other way around, because Jesus is our Lord, not the biblical text. In fact, Jesus as Lord was the earliest and most primary confession believers used in the New Testament, as we read in Romans chapter 10 and Philippians 2. This is why a text like this morning's reading from Hebrews is important to keep in mind as it explains Jesus' role as God's heir of all things and the radiance of God's glory. As Sheridan notes, Scripture points beyond itself to Emmanuel, the Christ, God with us. So with Jesus in this proper place as the center of biblical revelation, we cannot deny that the Bible is a dynamic book. Under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, reading scripture has the power to change people. And though God doesn't just speak to us through the written text, as Hebrew 4 tells us, the word of God is living and active. That's why we can turn to the same text over and over and over again and learn something new every time. That's why we can all read the same text and glean something different from it. 
It's also why, as Baptists, Bible freedom includes the freedom for continued obedience to the word of God in Scripture. Because human understanding of the Bible is never final or complete or finished. I'm going to say that again. It's important. Human understanding of the Bible is never final or complete or finished. So if somebody says, this is what the Bible means, they're lying to you. Freedom four is the ability to open to what we find anew in Scripture throughout our lives. It is the push to have a living faith rather than a stagnant one. Now, freedom from can be traced to the historic Baptist commitment to what Martin Luther called sola scriptura. Some of you have heard of that before? Nod nod your heads if we've heard of sola scriptura before. Okay, good. That means scripture alone. From a Baptist perspective, this meant no pope, no king, and no bishop could usurp the lordship of Christ. Historically, this also meant that Baptists took no book other than the Bible, biblical text, and did not use creeds, didn't necessarily use confessional or doctrinal statements from larger religious bodies, and religious councils could not be held as more important than the Bible. The way this is often expressed today is in describing Baptists as non-creedal people. The other way to say that is that Baptist churches don't use the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed that many of you probably grew up with. That's why. It's because we're Baptist. Now, the reason behind this thinking was twofold, historically. First, no creed can accurately summarize everything we believe. And second, creeds can become norms for belief to which people can be forced to comply. Finally, Bible freedom means freedom of that uh, that refers to interpretation each one of us has. This is, without a doubt, the aspect of, the bi- of biblical freedom that is most open to abuse, as someone with ulterior motives can pass off destructive behavior as biblical interpretation. An easy example of this is the way slave owners use the biblical text to justify keeping people in bondage and This wasn't just limited, of course, to uh, Baptist slave owners, as you know. As you might expect, the absence of any single, final, or official interpretation of Scripture has created diversity, consternation, and even conflict between Baptists and other Christians, of course. Life and faith are so much easier when you have really clear stances on things. When you know either what to believe on a certain issue or at least exactly where your church stands. But with the Baptist emphasis on each individual's right to work for your own interpretation, this fragile freedom can be the cause of a rainbow of thoughts, opinions, feelings about every part of the life of faith. Now, hear me really clearly This element of Bible freedom doesn't mean that Baptist churches can't or shouldn't take stances on specific social issues. It doesn't mean that we should not be clear about what we believe about things like hospitality, giving, discipleship, etc. We should absolutely work to find our place on these issues and these elements of faith. But what this does mean is that there is no one Baptist response to refugees, no one Baptist response to the LGBTQ community, 
and no one Baptist responds to issues like tithing. Baptists are frustratingly and beautifully this rainbow of believers who, if they were to know their history, would be aware of the privilege that comes with a commitment to individual interpretation. As Walter Sheridan says, the privilege of personal interpretation of the Bible is hard work. Some Baptists want the privilege of personal interpretation, but they do not want to go to the trouble to be good interpreters. Too many Baptists let others do their Bible study for them. We must distinguish between the noble privilege of interpreting the Bible for ourselves and the responsibility of working hard at determining what the biblical authors intended it to mean. So, with all of this information and dates and names, what's the good news this morning? If you turned your ears off, this is the time to come back. (laughs) Beyond having you leave here feeling like you've sat through a seminary lecture, which is kind of what this was, what should you take with you into the world? My hope is that you take a new or renewed awareness of the beautiful complexity of being a person of faith. Following Christ is a lifelong commitment, and we should expect that commitment to challenge us and change us. If being a Christian is easy, you are not doing it right. You aren't digging deep enough into yourself or deep enough into God. And I hope you appreciate our Baptist ancestors who were so dedicated to their faith and way of living, that faith out, that they often uprooted their whole lives and even sacrificed their lives to practice their faith as they wanted. And I hope you see that while Baptists are dedicated to freedom, it is a freedom that comes within a community, within a family of faith, and following, always following, the life, the words, the example, and the love of Christ.
In this Pentecost season, we recognize the loving God whose divine lungs inhaled the Spirit into our world. God's breath, the wind, the Spirit, the Ruach in Hebrew, continues to transform our world. Before the earth was formed, the Spirit of God swirled over voids and shadows. As humans were created, the air of God filled their lungs, filled the lungs of Adam, filled the soul of Eve. This divine air continues to fill us up when our bones are dry and our spirits are sluggish. In this Pentecost season, we invite the Spirit to come upon these elements. God of winds, pour out your Spirit to make these elements come alive for us. Make this meal awaken our sleepy hearts and stagnant souls. May we begin to celebrate visions and animate the dreams that have only been able to be alive in our minds. As we share this meal, let us remember our siblings in faith who come to tables just like this one and have so for decades and centuries past. And let us think of our children who will surround this table in the future. This is not my table. This is not Northminster's table. This is Christ's table. We are the guest. Christ is the host. And there is a seat here with your name on it. So kick off your walking shoes and make yourself comfortable, for this is holy ground. All are wanted and all are welcomed here with your doubts, with your shortcomings, with your failures, with your griefs. No matter what you bring to this table, you aren't just tolerated. You are overwhelmingly wanted and welcomed. Thanks be to God for a love like that. Now, if you would, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. On the night before Jesus died, he solemnized this time around the table. Because of his relentless pursuit of love, he would be seized by those in power, but before he was taken, Jesus introduced this meal to his followers. For even though he knew the end was coming, Jesus joined with those he loved. And as the night lengthened, he took a portion of bread. He blessed it, he broke it, and he shared it with them, saying, Remember me. And then after supper, Jesus picked up the cup. And during his blessing of it, Jesus reminded the disciples that he would go to the ends of the earth out of love for them. Then later, after he was resurrected, the disciples were eating on the beach together with Christ, with the new, risen Christ, full of new life, new hope, new vitality, so on this Pentecost, in this Pentecost season, as we come to the table, let us celebrate the spirit of resurrection and the promise of a needed second wind 
flowing into our own lives. Amen.
closing him today. Uh, Dr. Darrell Cluck, who is not here, uh, attended the Trinity service on, in 2012, uh, in which Dr. Gaddy preached a sermon trying to help us understand the Trinity, and as, Doc, as uh, Jillian's children's sermon so eloquently demonstrated, most of us do not have a complete understanding of it. We have to continue to working toward that. But Dr. Gaddy's words inspired Dr. Cluck to go home and write this hymn, which is uh, a, a wonderful exposition of some ideas about what the Trinity can mean. Now, before you scatter, let me offer you this benediction. And do please stay and have something to, to drink with us. May God bless you with a distaste for superficial worship so that you will live deep within your soul. May God bless you with anger at prejudice so that you will work for justice. May God bless you with tears for those who sorrow so that you will offer comfort. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world. Go be salty. Amen. You missed a hundred.